0: Welcome to Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new LA. Zocalo, which means public square in Spanish, is a nonpartisan, multi ethnic forum providing an opportunity for intellectual fellowship in Southern California. Tonight, Zocalo and the Los Angeles Times editorial board present Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America. Glickman, the former Secretary of Agriculture under President Clinton, was interviewed by L.A. Times editorial board member John Healy as part of the Zocalo Public Square lecture series, this one held at the Los Angeles Central Library. In this wide-ranging discussion, Glickman and Healy discussed the film industry's role in politics, the rise of DVDs and the threat posed by piracy, and the future of movie theaters in the age of home theater systems. This interview was recorded shortly before a major announcement by Hollywood Studios that they will begin selling Internet downloads of their movies. Here is John Healy of the L.A. Times editorial board.
1: Given that it's the day after the Academy Awards, I I have to ask you right off the bat, what what do you make of what we saw yesterday? Give us some analysis.
2: First of all, thank you for inviting me here tonight. Uh, I was just listening to the introduction and kind of a strange anomaly. Five years ago, I was dealing with soybean policy. <laughs> I was the secretary of the Red State Department of the United States. I spent most of my time in places like Midland, Texas. It had been in Mississippi, you know, and, and now I have this august job. And um, so it is, uh, it's, uh, it shows you in life, if you just stick around for a while, certain things happen to you. And this is, uh, I tell people that, of course, the the uh, big qualification I had is because the first thing people do when they go into a movie theater is buy popcorn, and of course I was an expert on, on the corn subsidy program. <laughs> um, but it does give me a little bit of perspective about the country. So, um, any event, that's a long ways from your I was questions. Say, you were in the
1: house, not the Senate, and you're filibustering. Yeah, no, no, no,
2: no. no, no. Well, <laughs> um, no, I tell you what. It's uh, to me, it's like the Super Bowl of this business is the Oscars. So to me, it's like. A big kick, I mean to go in there and um, you you first of all I, I must tell you i 've seen a lot of news media in my life and press, but when you walk down the red carpet i don 't know who these people are it 's extraordinary to believe that there are these many people in the business there are these many, these many photographers in the United States, and i 'm not sure they necessarily work for anybody, and some of them i 'm sure are um, stringers or um, folks doing it on their own but it does teach you something about celebrity in this country. Uh, and uh, I, th- I think that uh, that is the thing that kind of – that's the first thing that strikes you. But the next thing that strikes you is the fact that um, uh, this business is um, extraordinary in terms of what, uh, what, how, what, what it means to people. Uh, and you watch the Oscars and, and, you know, there's a lot of celebrity going on. But behind that is the movies. And behind the movies are one of the few businesses in the world, the entertainment business, that actually makes people feel good. How many people in this world work on things that people don't smile about or don't like? And so I'm in a business that actually, I mean, we only make money if people like us and or like what we do. And so um, uh, I think the show was interesting. I think it's uh, oftentimes more fun to watch on television than it is to watch it. A- in the theater because every 17 minutes you you, know, you excuse yourself for six minutes while they do advertising. and People mill around and, and everything else. But it's still a great thrill for me. Um, I remember growing up, my grandmother used to get this magazine, PhotoPlay. I don't even think they have it anymore. And we used to read about you know, people like Gene Tierney and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, Clark Gable and and uh, Robert Alden, and other kinds of people. And, and she, she used to say, this is what keeps me alive, this kind of stuff. And there now here, here I am in this business. So I realize it's kind of a per- personal answer to this, but I got a great kick out of it. You know, I guess five, six hundred million people watching it did, too.
1: Well, I'm, I wonder, one of the criticisms that's been leveled about the Academy and about Hollywood generally is that its values, and the values that seem to be uh, honored at events like the Oscars, aren't in sync with much of what America values. And this was, um, this was... At least one person agrees with that here, right? I don't know about the rest of you. Values all. are not in sync with this gentleman's values. Yeah. Um, all right, okay. The, um, the so the, the question is, uh, whether there's a problem there for Hollywood, uh, as a business and as an institution, uh, that the Oscars just brings to the fore.
2: Well, first place, if you look at the movies of, of the past year, they represent a you know, diverse group of uh, creative expression all the way from basic family movies uh, like uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, a lot of the animated movies, the Harry Potter series, you know, all the way to movies like Crash and Brokeback Mountain, which are, were obviously more provocative. And, I mean, if you examine all the movies, I looked at the list of all the movies that were distributed last year. It is an extraordinary, diverse display of, of intellectual talent. And so, yeah, there are some liberals, some conservatives, some mainstream. Uh, there was, you know, comedies. There were documentaries that were to provoke people. But, but by and large, I think it's uh, reasonably representative of the society. Now, it is true that people in this business tend to be um, as celebrities uh... tend not necessarily to act the way we do in our daily lives every day and uh, part of that is the business of in fact being in the entertainment world but I, I don't agree that it's not in the mainstream in the sense that i think it's what the public wants i think they like this product they may not like everybody that's in it and they may not like every movie that's there but the diversity of the product and the uh, and the fact that it changes people's lives i think are a reason why it is the perhaps the biggest export industry that this country has and i'm just going to give a little bit of an advertisement for a moment this is the only industry in the world that has a positive balance of payment surplus with every single country in the world we do business with airplanes don't have that agriculture doesn't have that software doesn't have it film and television entertainment is is what it is now in addition to that it employs nearly about a million people quarter of a million people in this state this state alone it provides about 35 billion dollars worth of expenditures in entertainment film business and most of that's in the los angeles area so i mean it's not only a business in which america kind of is the predominant force in the world and i don't use the word dominating force i use predominant force because there are a lot of great movies produced around the world but it is a powerful economic boost for this country and it is something we ought to be proud of, and it is something that we ought to exploit, and it's something that our institutions, whether they're in government or in the media or elsewhere, need to recognize its importance and its value. It doesn't mean we always produce perfect things, but there is none equal to it anywhere else.
1: What's the counterargument to critics on the right side of the political spectrum who point to the Oscars and they say, "Well, you know, movies like Narnia and Passion of the Christ, they don't get nominated. That's their exhibit A for why Hollywood is out of touch.
2: Well, okay, I would I would say the following. I mean, I would be less than honest with you if I didn't tell you that I thought the creative community in the entertainment world was more on the left of the political equation than on the right, because I, I couldn't tell you with a straight face that's not true. And even as a longtime Democrat, I, I, you know, I recognize that. That, however, is not to... Uh, negate the fact that there are plenty of -of middle-of-the-road and conservative people in the entertainment world. Uh, A lot of them in the creative side of the world don't identify with that from a political perspective. And if you look historically, my guess is that most people who have been on in the entertainment world since the beginning of time tend not to be bland middle-of-the-road people since the days of, you know, the beginning of, of live theater so, you know, I don't find necessarily that's unusual, but I will tell you this that uh, I run into an awful lot of people in this business who are not flaming liberals, who are, you know, either unengaged or political moderates. And uh, you don't hear a lot of, from them because moderates tend not to scream from the heavens like people on the extremes do. Quite frankly, I look in my job for ways to find more Republicans to participate in the political process because I think it's healthy for our industry to have people on all sides of the political equation.
1: So uh, I think it's time to own up to the fact that your favorite moment from last night was 3-6 Mafia winning for its hard out here for PIM.
2: Uh, actually, uh, I, I must be honest with you. I thought that was one of my favorite moments because I, I thought at times the, uh, the ceremony lacked a little bit of energy now, I thought it, by and large, was good, but I, when that that rap song, which I, by the way, had seen Hustle and Flow, I liked the song, uh, and I saw it, and I thought people, it livened people up. They, like you'd see people kind of, you know, even very old, conservative-type
1: people thought it was a pretty nifty uh, song. So, yeah, I, I liked it. Let's talk about box office trends. For a couple of years now, we've seen declining attendance, uh, and last year, actually declining revenue in the U.S., Uh, box office. What do you make of this? Is this something that's a problem for the industry? Is this something that's troublesome or is it cyclical? And what do you make of the lineup coming up this summer where you have quite a, a few very expensive films colliding in the summertime?
2: I think even if it's cyclical, it's not a trend that I like to see. I mean, you want to see those numbers go up, not go down. But I think you can talk about several things here. Virtually all collective entertainment experiences in not only America, around the world, are not trending up. That's sports events, that's concerts. Broadway actually had a little better year this last year, but, you know, by and large, the people getting together to um, experience some sort of entertainment event has not been a positive across the board. I'm not exactly sure why that is. I think part of it has to do with time commitments. I think that uh, people also have a lot of alternatives in this world. I mean 50 years ago, movies were the only alternative largely for entertainment. Today, there are a myriad of alternatives and people can take advantage of them. I would say this to you that even though box office attendance and revenues were down last year, the last 3 months of last year they actually trended up and so far this year they have trended up as well. I mean not dramatically, but not down, either. And I think that the rest of this year, you have movies like um, The Da Vinci Code, and you have Mission Impossible 3, and there's a Superman uh, sequel, and, and there are a lot of big movies that are coming down the pike. And my guess is maybe the next six to nine months are going to be pretty good, and I bet you that we end this year up some over last year. But nobody really knows for sure. The final answer to your question is is that more people are watching film and television today than ever before they're just not watching it on the theatrical screen but they're watching it at home uh through their new entertainment centers or home video uh capabilities they're watching it online hopefully legally but in some cases not legally and they're watching it on their small electronics equipment ipods and mp3s and other things that are coming down the pike and That's not necessarily bad news. I'm from the school that the more people that watch content, the better it is for content producers – But we do have to figure out a way to try to get more people, I think, to the theaters because the foundation of the industry is still that cinema experience. That's where the buzz comes. That's where the social experience comes. And In fact, next week I'm going to be in Las Vegas where the NATO, not in Brussels but in the United States, is hosting their annual meeting where one of the discussions is what can we do to try to encourage increased theatrical
1: experience. I understand why they care, because that's their business, the getting people into theaters. But for the industry as a whole, isn't the bottom line how much revenue you're pulling in from all sources? And then maybe one of the responses is, if people are going to be watching these things more at home, the entertainment has to be scaled for that venue, right? So instead of doing five or ten movies a year that are of the scale of War of the Worlds, there may be a couple of them and more of, of a home video kind of scale.
2: Yes, although the bottom line is to sell more product. So if you can sell more in a variety of venues, uh, that's good. And that's happening. And more product is being sold. Uh, I mean, while DVD sales have flattened a bit, that that increased rather dramatically. And home video is increasing and satellite video is increasing. And so these other options. And I went to the Consumer Electronics Show, and I don't know how many of you in this room have... Home entertainment centers. Anybody here have home entertainment centers or really plasma screens? Plasm- really excellent ways of watching this stuff at home. But if you do, wow, this is sad. Uh, you know. You, uh, <laughs> uh, well, they're all honest theater goers. They love that experience, I okay. guess. But uh, but anyway, it is a, it's an interesting thing because the quality of the of the picture and the sound is is actually very good and getting better and better. And so. A lot of people are, are, you know, are are going down that road. But let's go back for a moment. From a marketing perspective, uh, I still believe this collective buzz of the theatrical experience is the kernel by which the product continues to be sold in the aftermarket. So it's – you're right. You're going to see probably more direct marketing to consumers, more targeted marketing of product to consumers – but I think it's healthy in our society to have this collective experience of, of the theatrical movie going. There was a professor at Harvard named Robert Putnam, some of you may know. He wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And he talked about what happens to a country in which we stop doing things together, we stop doing things collectively. And he talks about how America used to be a, a nation of clubs, and now Very few people belong to clubs anymore. They don't do things together anymore. And he talks about how the movie experience is one of the few places where people still go anonymously, in the dark, on a democratized basis to watch the same thing together. Now... Uh, that that's fine. I agree with that. That alone isn't going to keep the industry alive, however, because it's still got the bottom line there. But I think as a as a social matter, I think we do better when we remember that the the theatrical experience plus you know I guess sports events to some extent do this as well, but not the same way that the movies do it. So yeah, we're going to target our stuff and try to get customers more individually tailored to buy it, but I still think that we can't succeed over the long term unless we still have that foundation of the experience.
0: You're listening to Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America, in conversation with John Healy of the L.A. Times Editorial Board. This is Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A. For information on upcoming Zocalo events and to download past radio programs, visit ZocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot More conversation and questions from the audience when Zocalo returns after this. A
1: month or two ago, I drove to work and I left my lights on. I fried my battery. And, of course, all my radio presets were gone. And I didn't have much time, I had places to go And I just thought, well I want to listen to the radio So I'm going to program one station And I thought to myself, what do I want to put in? It was KPCC Uh, It was kind of like those games you play at parties Where you say, you know, if you were stuck on a desert island What one book would you want to have with you for the rest of your life? Hey, if you fry your car battery and you can only program one station What's it going to be? If the answer is KPCC It's probably time to pledge My name is George Waters, and I'm a children's librarian, and I live in Pasadena. I became a member of KPCC by joining online at kpcc.org. Won't you join me and support the best public radio station in Southern California?
0: Welcome back to Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A., Tonight, Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America, in conversation with John Healy of the LA Times Editorial Board on the state of the U.S. film industry.
1: What do you think of the transformative effect of the Internet? In this sense, um, home video was essentially created by a technology, VCRs. So is the Internet simply a better version of the VCR, uh, another type of uh, more on-demand delivery vehicle, or is it something more fundamental, more transformative? Does it change the things that people are watching, not just how they get them into their homes?
2: Well, I think you've got to go out of the entertainment experience here to look at the Internet as a very transformative uh, thing. It, it is, allows people to communicate with each other in ways that they never dreamed of before. I, 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 when I was in the Congress, I had a friend, some of you may know, a guy named Barney Frank, a congressman from Massachusetts, who told me his mother learned to use the Internet in the late 70s and she became addicted to it and it, it was it was uh, in it kept her strong and vibrant and alive and this, this ability to have access to the world and I think the internet has done that in the same way that the telephone did it beforehand so as as a tool to 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 reach the rest of the world there is this is this is an amazing tool that that I think is transformative now in terms of how people get entertainment um, i don 't know I think that it is a is a plus, and uh, you know the trick is to make sure that this particular technology is used in a way that um, honors copyright and intellectual property it 's harder on the internet than it is in in the physical showing of movies to ensure that the product is not pirated or stolen, but I think we 're making progress to to see that that happens. I think that um, the internet is a way if You can get uh, hassle free, reasonably priced entertainment that uh, encourages you to uh, be aware of and watch more movies. And that is good for business. Uh, I recall as a kid, uh, I lived in a little town, well, I lived in Wichita, Kansas, and I remember that a restaurant went up on one corner, and then a restaurant went up on the other corner. And uh, my dad used to tell me, he says, that's great for both restaurants. He says, you get two restaurants on a corner, you get four times the business, providing their food is good. And if you get a third restaurant on the corner, it will be six times the business, providing the food is good. You know, some people thought that competition was not good for you, but it encouraged people to go out and eat. And I feel the same way about the internet. I think the internet offers an opportunity for more people to see and experience content, particularly as technology allows us to take that content on the internet and... And you know, move it to your television set. Uh, which well, let's w- talk about that because you know, it's your members who are, who are no. not making that possible right now. Well, that 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 okay. I, I I would take umbrage with that. We're in a period of great experimentation now when it comes to uh, the content that comes uh, across uh, people's uh, phone lines um, or cable lines or satellite or whatever it is, and. Um, The thing that our companies worry most about is the theft of that property, you know, I mean, the protection of that content. And it was easier when you had a single method of distribution of that content directly to a movie theater or maybe to a television set. But today, you know, the the content is ubiquitous. It's available everywhere, and it comes in pretty easily. And uh, I think there has been great concern about the fact that uh, how do you protect that content to make sure that it's not stolen so that uh, people get compensated for it? Because if they're not compensated for it, they won't produce it in the first place. But you are in a period now, even with our companies and others in the business, of transformative change. You've already seen a lot of our companies begin deals with uh, Internet service providers, uh, uh, manufacturers of electronics equipment to, in fact, begin the ability to get that uh, equipment on iPods, on television sets. And, and, and it's still in a kind of an infancy stage in terms of how this is going to be done. But my judgment is this. For years and years and years, entertainment was what they wanted you to watch. So you would go to the theater to see what they were showing on the times they wanted you to do it. Now... We're entering in an era where, yeah, you're going to have some of that, but you're also going to be able to determine when you want to watch it, how you want to watch it, and where you want to watch it. Technology gives people that, those tools, empowers people to do it. What we have to work out is to make sure that in that kind of system, there is a way to protect, reasonably protect the content so that it's not stolen. And people don't take it in great quantities for free, because if they do that, the stuff will not get produced in the first place. That's obviously what worries our companies. But your
1: definition of what's reasonably protected, today you're selling boatloads of DVDs which have a certain amount of protection on them. But rather than allowing DVDs to move through the Internet, be burned with that amount of protection and carried to a DVD player... The studios for a long time insisted on more protection because what they were making boatloads of money off of wasn't good enough for the Internet era.
2: But, but, but I think that's... Uh... I don't, I don't think that's a static situation. First place, the DVD represented a uh, dramatic change in technology itself, the ability to have a high-quality copy of a movie or a television show or other kind of program that you could have. And, yeah, it was protected because the fact is is the fear that uh, if it's, it, it was breached and copied, it could be distributed to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people. And it, And it happens, by the way, right now. You know, I mean, the... The source of most piracy when it comes to films uh, usually occurs in the following way a A thief or a crook or whatever will go into a theater someplace and camcord that movie in its earliest days may do it in a in a preliminary release situation and the camcording equipment is getting gotten very good and uh, then those uh, that is then uh, uh, burned onto a copy, transferred across the world into an, uh, on the internet, and then made into tens if not hundreds of thousands of copies and sold throughout the world and so what I think has always has co- concerned our members is the, is how do you reasonably control that type of situation and the same thing 's true with transfer onto television or the internet or, or anything else, but with modern technology, those changes are occurring now, and you 're seeing During the last year or two, and you will see in the next few years, dramatic experimentation by our companies on ways to try to modernize that, particularly as customers want it. Again, I can't speak for all the companies, but I think most of them recognize that if you give people enough choice of product and a hassle-free method at a reasonable cost, they're likely to take that product legally. Some will steal it There's no way you can stop that forever, but, uh, you know, and the companies are, in fact, working on that, and they're working on technological solutions to try to provide reasonable copy protection, but at the same time recognize that the consumers do want some additional choices in the modern world. Um, And, you know, we've looked at the music industry, which obviously had a lot of problems in this area, and uh, they have been revolutionized by the iPod and by similar pieces of equipment. It's likely that a lot of the same uh, illegal downloading problems have and will continue to occur in the movie industry as well. Uh, So my belief is is that those challenges are being met and will continue to be met because the public will
1: demand them. Talk a little bit about, as you move into the Internet, whether there are other business disputes facing you. I'm thinking in particular of uh, issues of residuals. Right now, the uh, downloads uh, for the episodic things through iTunes, uh, for example, an episode of a TV show.
2: Episodic always reminded me of a geological age, so
1: I never know exactly what
2: you're... try to stop him to think so he doesn't ask me tough questions.
1: (laughs) Got me on that one. Uh, They're paid at at a... um, I think, the lowest level of residual for, for home video, and there's a dispute emerging about that. How is that going to play out, and is that going to be much of a hurdle?
2: Okay, first of all, uh, those are issues that I'm not personally involved with. Uh, you know, those are negotiated issues between the various guilds and our companies and others. I mean, the residual situation in our industry grew in, out in the 1960s, uh, both in film and television, when you had a different distribution model than you do right now. And uh, I suspect that those will be seriously discussed in the next round of negotiations with the various guilds. Uh, but those are decisions best left to the collective bargaining process in the marketplace. And so, I mean, at that stage, that's, that's about all I can tell you on that.
1: Uh, let's talk about some of the antipiracy efforts you've made around the world. Um, the MPA has made quite a few announcements over the past six or eight months of activity in Southeast Asia and, and China. Do you think that you're, you're making progress there, that you're actually making an impact on the illegal distribution of DVDs there?
2: Yes, although I tell you the problem is still monumental. For example, in Hong Kong, we've reduced uh, Internet piracy in half, and in Singapore, the same thing. And even in places like India, which had just almost 100% piracy of of movies and television, we've reduced television piracy rather significantly in the last few years. China, and, and by the way, we've had significant success in terms of uh, coming in with enforcement actions against these big facilitators of peer-to-peer piracy around the world and, and uh, some of the major servers. And it gets rather technical, but the fact is going after the big guys, the international criminal syndicates who are involved in Internet piracy, uh, we've been pretty successful at. Uh, there are some problems that remain. Uh, China remains a very significant problem in piracy. Uh, how many of you have been in China
1: how many of you have seen the
2: illegal – You de- should
1: point out there are more people who have been to China than who have it's home entertainment st- systems. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. yeah, right. Probably more people have been to China than have been to Kansas,
2: I would say, where I'm <laughs> from, I would guess. Uh, okay, but how, those of you who have been there saw probably the uh, nature of, um, of pirated and copyrighted infringed material – Generally, not just DVDs, but DVDs are kind of the poster child of this particular effort. It's estimated that 90 to 95 percent of the DVDs sold in China are pirated. Um, And, you know, we're working on this. Um, We can't seem to get the Chinese government to deal with the enforcement actions as aggressively as we need to. Uh, I was there uh, a couple of times. My son actually produces movies, and I was there uh, about six months ago, and I picked up a copy of his movie the Monday after it opened on Friday. It was called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where he was involved in production of that movie. And that afternoon we went to visit the um, Ministry of Culture, and uh, we talked piracy, which almost every person in our business or politician when they go to China talks about, and they nodded, and then I pulled out this tape and I said, this hit me personally, and I want you to know my son produced this movie. And I got somebody's attention because that night they raided and closed down the store that I bought the DVD at. So uh, my colleagues thought that my son's name ought to be on every movie that was made in this country. Then maybe we'd have have some success there. But um, uh, in addition to that, the Chinese government allows a very small number of American movies to come into China legally. So although you can buy thousands of copies of illegal DVDs of every movie that's ever been made there. So China remains a a very serious problem for us, and we've been working with the U.S. government on ways to enforce that. Russia is a big problem because there is a very significant organized crime effort to manufacture illegal CDs and DVDs there, and so we're working on those markets as well. And Internet piracy still remains a very big problem, uh, both for music and movies. And so we spend a lot of time working with law enforcement, uh, both within the MPAA, the recording industry, and governments around the world to deal with this problem. In many cases, we find the same people who are involved in in criminal piracy efforts are also involved in um, organized crime and narcotics and other criminal activities because it's big profit business. I'm telling you, if you can steal a DVD and you can produce it and and sell it for even a couple dollars, a a DVD, you're making almost 100% profit in this situation, much better
1: even than, in many cases, the narcotics world. So if you're always going to have that problem because there's always going to be holes and the internet can enable a file to travel around the globe instantaneously virtually how do you compete with that I'd say a couple things you gotta uh, educate people kids
2: particularly at home and around the world that intellectual property is fundamentally the same as real property as physical property Uh, we have raised a generation of young people that question that I I go to colleges and universities around this country and in fact, I was here once at UCLA, and I talked about the fact that the, the property that a songwriter produces or a movie producer produces is to the same degree as property as this table or this microphone. And I think most people did not believe me or want to believe me or accept what I've been saying. Uh, whether it's because the, you, the internet is so ubiquitous and you can download it so easily and it's just there and they grew up with that I, I'm not exactly sure why but a, a big part of our efforts are in e- education both at the college level and at the high school level as well and not only kids but their parents as well you'd be surprised the number of parents who have no control over what their kids do on the internet I'm not talking just about downloading I'm wa- talking about watching pornography I'm talking about uh, uh, other kinds of activity that you, you would not want your kids to be involved with. And we encourage parents to become much more engaged in this. And, and um, on our website, we actually have um, uh, some software that will allow a parent to determine whether, in fact, a kid is uh, illegal downloading movies. But anyway, education is a big part of this effort, and enforcement is a big part of the effort. But we also must offer product to people in reasonably priced, hassle-free ways in which they can get a broad variety of entertainment easily and priced sensibly. Because if we don't do that, then the incentives will be all the greater to to get into pirated material. And we'll never stop it, Mm -hmm. but we just have to manage it. And the other part of this is, of course, technology, Uh, using technology to both uh, give consumers more alternatives, more options, and also technology to protect the product as well.
0: You're listening to Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America, in conversation with John Healy of the L.A. Times Editorial Board. This is Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A., Information on upcoming Zocalo events is at our website, along with downloads of past radio programs. Visit ZocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G.
1: There are many folk in Washington who believe that we're coming into an era where content providers have too much control over what people at home do with the product, because the technology enables you to do that. You can set rules on digital materials saying... Here's when you can play it. Here's where you can play it. Here's how many times you can play it. So do, do you have to have a, a new meeting of the minds, as it were, with the public about what is appropriate for them to do at home with the things that they buy, and what does it mean to own a movie?
2: I, I don't disagree with you, but I do believe that our education system has to do a little more, and we're working with them, to teach people uh, what property rights means, what, what, the value of property. I mean, if somebody creates something, is there a property right there. If somebody writes a book or a poem or a piece of art, does it have intrinsic value? And as a matter of just principle, ought it be protected or not? And I guess what worries me is we're entering an era where a lot of people are thinking art of any kind is not worthy of protection that bothers me very much because I think that's the essence of our civilization is the protection of arts and humanities now you get past that point then you talk about the fact that yeah we want to protect our product and the consumer wants with technology wants to see what they want where they want and how they want it and they don't want to get gouged for it either and there's I suppose some degree of tension there but the bottom line is is that in, in this country almost always the customer rules and with technology, the customer is becoming more and more empowered all the time. So it's a tension there, but we must work with them because the s- survival of our dependent of, of existence depends on our ability to sell our movies and our and our records and our, and our television shows.
1: In Washington, you folks have been, uh, along with the broadcasters, uh, trying to persuade Congress to give the FCC the power to uh, enact broadcast flag legislation. In a nutshell, it's about enabling programmers to put... Uh, some code in the digital TV broadcasts to say you can move this around your house, but it cannot leave the house, can't go out on the Internet and be redistributed willy-nilly. What's the progress on that, and how much pushback are you getting from the civil libertarians of the Internet?
2: Well, it's a complicated issue, but but it actually was endorsed by the Federal Communications Commission. There's something called the broadcast flag where we'd flag this over-the-air television that then could be uh, converted and transferred to the Internet. And uh, quite frankly, about a third of this country still operates with free, over-the-air television, particularly smaller rural communities. But I think that industry is threatened by uh, the loss of revenues that would occur if that that product could be then transferred into the Internet and and then available. So we we think this is an important uh, tool, at least for the current time period, until we were to go to an all-digital television and the format were to change. So we're still working at the best we can.
0: You're listening to Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America, in conversation with John Healy of the LA Times Editorial Board. This is Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new LA. Information on upcoming Zocalo events is at our website, along with downloads of past radio programs. Visit Zocalo LA.org, that's ZocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot When we return, it's the Zocalo audience's turn to ask the questions. Stay tuned.
3: All of you contributed during our March fund drive. Thanks for being a part of the successful fundraising effort. Hi, this is John Raby. Your financial support is essential to the public service KPCC provides every day, and we really appreciate your generous commitment. There's still time to join online by going to kpcc.org. just takes a few moments, and when you're done, you'll have joined the thousands of listeners who support Southern California Public Radio 89.3 KPCC. Thanks from all of us at KPCC for your support throughout the year next time on day to day this past year i was diagnosed
2: with manic depression writer marcos mcpeak villatoro has had a tough time lately but he's doing better thanks in part to lots of pills i went from being a guy who popped an aspirin every blue moon to carrying around a well-stocked little gray pillbox. meditations on medication next time on day to day weekday mornings at nine on 89.3
0: kpcc Welcome back to Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new L.A. We've been listening to Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America, in conversation with John Healy of the L.A. Times Editorial Board on the state of the U.S. film industry. Now, Zocalo audience members pose a few questions of their own. Um, Your organization goes to Washington whenever the copyright on old movies is about to expire and you persuade Congress to extend it, and this has happened several times and it will doubtless happen again, don't you think your industry should be living off its own creativity now rather than living off the creativity of people two or three generations ago? Uh,
2: Well, okay, first of all, um, I've been in this job 18 months, so I have not personally experienced the kinds of legislative initiatives you're talking about. It's in some parts of this business, as in other parts of the creative industries book publishing magazines there have been extension of copyrights granted it's happened in the pharmaceutical industry as well so it's not just in movies and and uh, uh, you know I think those things are handled on a case-by-case basis some copyrights expire some some don't expire this is a public policy issue at times the industry has gone to Congress to see that it gets extended but it's not an overall thing with respect to all copyrights either um, and the only thing I could tell you is, is that if, you know, the, the, to the extent that the public gets involved with these issues, the political process hopefully works and, and you get the right decision coming out of it. But but I don't want the audience to get the idea that every copyright on every movie that's there is automatically extended all the time, because that's just what not- it is.
1: I mean, under law, it's automatically extended. Now, you no longer have to ask for an extension, thanks to the last time before you were actually MPAA chief. The last uh, piece of legislation made it an automatic extender. So even if you are in fact w- dead and your descendants are in fact dead, the copyright keeps getting extended.
2: And I, I, the only thing I can tell you is, is that uh, 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 to recapture the investment that were, was made in certain circumstances, I think that's justified. But, if, but I, I would say the following. I would say that uh, this is an issue that probably justifies a healthy debate, public policy debate, not just with respect to a new movie extension of copyright, but books, magazines, and the whole concept of copyright and patents because I think it's a combination, it's a more comprehensive issue than just relates to this industry.
1: It won't come up again for another 20 years or so when Mickey Mouse's uh, copyright is set to expire again.
2: Um, When you were talking about the need to look at intellectual property as um, property. Right. um, You came awfully close to making a moral rights uh, version of property, which not only gives the rights to the industry and the corporations, but to the director who does it, the cinematographer, and the rest of it. And I'm rather surprised to hear someone who represents the companies make something that comes close to a moral rights because um, generally they're the people who want to shorten the movies, change the format, and occasionally colorize it. Yeah. Um, I didn't didn't argue the case for moral rights. I argued the general case, as the founders of this country argued, because copyright is actually mentioned in the Constitution of the United States in a general sense. And... um, um, you know, I think we could have a debate about who owns those rights. Uh and of course I've talked many times to the directors in this country and others who have uh their own perspective on this. And in some parts of the world those moral rights do appear. They don't here in the United States. But I guess my point from a generic perspective is the respect for intellectual property rights is an important part of our economic and political system. That's the argument I was making.
0: Uh, you talked about uh trying to recruit Republicans. The trend I've found in the uh, eight years I've been out here is coming to events like this and being the one person who asks a obviously labeled conservative question. Then afterwards, in the lobby, out front, someone will come up to me from the audience saying, I love the question you asked. And will pat me on the back I say, well, why didn't you ask it? I say, oh, I'd lose my job. I'm an editor. I'm whatever. And Are you going to be able to address the blacklist that exists for conservatives who won't come to an event like this and ask a question for fear they'll lose their job?
2: Well, okay. First of all, uh, unfortunately, I don't have much to do with who comes to this forum and what they say. But I will tell you this. Um, It is important there be healthy across-the-board debate in this country on a variety of issues. And uh, uh, there is no reason why the entertainment world ought to be exempt from that. And um, uh, I myself am as. Let me go back for a moment. I was elected as a Democrat from Kansas. Uh, that's like uh, um, you know having ski resorts in downtown Los Angeles in a sense. Okay. Um, now I ultimately lost my seat. I was defeated in 1994 as part of the Gingrich Revolution. But I held this seat for 18 years. And I learned to respect – to being a Democrat from Kansas, which is uh, uh, the state – which is the longest state that's not elected a Democratic United States Senator and uh, a state which traditionally votes Republican and has historically in, in a variety of political races, that it was important for me to reach out and be fair. And, uh, you know, in, in dealing with the population base I did with, when I was Secretary of Agriculture – you know, by and large, I wasn't in liberal bastions when I was out talking about the issues that I dealt with, and so it is important for me, as head of this organization, to be viewed as fair, and and excuse the Fox language, balanced. Um, uh, at the same time, you know. Um, uh, we, we none of us can hide from whence we came and what our, what our historic beliefs are. But my job is to best serve this industry and, and, and represent our economic issues before this country. And those are nonpartisan issues. Support for intellectual property rights is not a partisan issue. Uh, support for selling America's biggest export industry around the world is not a partisan issue. And so yeah, I can't – look, Look, if Barbara Streisand or Whoopi Goldberg goes up and gives a big speech attacking President Bush, they deserve that, per, that First Amendment right to do that. They're not representing me in that process. They're not representing the MPAA in that process. And they're not representing the thousands of workers, hundreds of thousands of workers in this state and around the country who work in this particular industry. So, uh, you know, I understand what you're saying. I, I would hope that people not be intimidated in this particular world. Uh, at all. Um, and, uh, but, and, but the only way to stop that is for people like you and others in this room to come to forums like this and tell us what you think.
1: I'm yeah. struggling to think of, it, of an issue that you're working on in Washington that, that is partisan. You've, you're encountering opposition and support from both sides of the aisle.
2: Uh, on, on most of our anti-piracy issues, the, the, the support and opposition has nothing to do with political background, nothing. It may have to do with uh, geographical background. It, it may have to do with uh, specific constituencies, you know, in the states that we're, we're dealing with. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, there are some issues that take on, a, you know, a mildly partisan tone, issues like, for example, indecency, you know, on television or the rating system, which I uh, and the MPA runs. But even there, by and large, they are not partisan issues. Now, if, if a particular movie star or talent wants to criticize a political party or a president of the United States, that's, that's free expression. You know, it's, that's fine. You know, other people in this world have alternative points of view. And, and all my job is to do is to be fair and responsible and promote an industry that's so critical for this state and for this country. Uh, yes, idea. Bob Trevor, actor, director, avid moviegoer. A request and a question. Yes, sir. When you go to NATO, could you request that theater owners perhaps enforce a cone of silence around the auditorium that prohibits cell phone transmission and reception? That's a major bugaboo about spending 10, 12 bucks for an admission. And the question is, what
3: did you think of Steve Soderbergh's experiment uh, releasing theatrically, home video, and on the internet at the same time?
2: Uh, f- kind of seriously, on the first question is is that. Um, You know, what we've got to do in terms of promoting the industry and the theatrical production is to figure out how to give the customer more value. In the movie theater, and the value is a combination of things. It's safety, comfort, enjoyment, uh, you know, uh, relaxation, in which some of these external factors may have something to do with that. It's also making sure that the movies are good. There's a diversity of of film out there that they can see. That kind of thing. So I, I, I can't really preach to the theater owners about what they should or shouldn't do, but. But I think this is a subject that many of them know about, and certainly the public is speaking a lot. And there are a lot of surveys that are being done on this. On the on the bubble issue, or the simultaneous l- release of a movie uh, in theaters and home, I, there's just going to be lots of experimentation now uh, in in this business. And I've I've uh, met the team, uh, Mark Cuban and Todd Wagner, who uh, who uh, you know have this company, and they they 've done more traditional movies, they operate theaters as well, but they were also involved in this particular uh, movie and um, uh, All I can tell you is that the, the free enterprise system gives people the opportunity to experiment i don 't necessarily view that as a threat to the theatrical experience. some people do, but I you know in our modern in our capitalistic system. These, these these experimentations ought to be encouraged, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, but we also have to work to try to make the theatrical experience better, more enjoyable, and higher value for the consumer.
0: Hi, my name is Sue Basco, and congratulations on your new job. Um, I recently read – his, his name is either Dan or David Waterman's book, Hollywood's Road to Riches, which I assume you either read or will shortly – um, and one thing he's talking about, aside from the fact that he uses all these MPAA, um, you know, uh, statistics over and over again, um, what he's talking about is importation um, of uh, U.S. values um, when we're sending things over overseas, to, you know, in order to make money for movies, going to the lowest common denominator, um, often being um, violence and action, because it's something that's internationally understood. And I'm wondering if... Um, you folks are seeing any sort of future where other types of films could be successfully marketed worldwide?
2: Uh, This is an international business. Our people make more money on film outside the United States than they make inside the United States. So we have to be cognizant of what people want to see. And And a lot of film financing is often based upon whether a film will play overseas, you know, or not. I looked, in fact, in today's variety, and they list the foreign box office, and and virtually every country that's listed that we sell movies in, American movies have a majority of the best-selling movies. Not all, because there are indigenous film industries in France, the U.K., and Korea, and India. India's got the largest film industry in the world, as a matter of fact. Uh, I remember, uh, I actually, when I first got this job, I went to the Republican National Convention. That was a big cultural experience for me as a longtime Democrat. But it was, it, I saw Governor Schwarzenegger there, and he made this speech. He made an interesting speech. He said, I learned about America as a young boy in Austria when I went to the movies. And it really hit me in terms of the power of this medium, and both to entertain the world, but also to be responsible as well. We know that when this product goes out around the world, it often reflects our country and our values. At the same time, it reflects the creative spirit of people and in the individuality of spirit. Uh, so, you know, I, I understand what you're saying and, and understand that with with power and economic clout comes responsibility as well. But it is interesting to see they still love the product. And it is... It is what they want, when they want when they actually go to a movie theater. They want to see what we produce. And we have from, yes?
3: Um, I probably don't have to tell you, but when a, when a movie is made, so many companies are involved in the making of that movie when they get sound mixing, special effects, you know, when you run the credits or things like that. You know, I've been given a couple of pirated movies off the internet, and you as an organization or your organization and studios seem to point to the propagators of piracy as the problem. Whereas you talk to people, I don't know how many people are in the business here, but you talk to people in the business, and the source of the pirated movies doesn't come from China. I mean, anybody's backpack has been into a bar where you can see a movie with a guy who's sitting in the theater doing it. But most of the ones you, you download off the Internet come from a guy who's sitting at a computer at a sound company somewhere in Hollywood who's given it to another person. So what are the companies on a studio level, as well as people involved in the in the process of making the movie, policing themselves from, you know, a twenty five thousand dollar a year sound editor, given that putting it on the internet himself? What are they because that really affects people making a decision to invest if I have a $5 million and I want to invest in a movie, I'm not going to re- rely on a, a, a guy making $30,000 to protect my intellectual properties.
2: Uh, well, let me say a couple things. Number one is, is that uh, internal security within the companies is a very high priority. But I would take issue with you. Most movies that are pirated are camcorded movies. A lot of movies on peer-to-peer are actually pirated movies that move through the system that come from the camcording process to begin with. I don't have the exact statistics for you. If our anti-piracy guy were there, uh, I would I would talk to you about it. But I do agree with you that uh, there probably is some product uh, that that may come from inside, but it is a it is a minority. But uh, the the t- several things. Number one is the companies have much much higher internal security measures than they did before you can see that when it came to the whole issue of screeners that went out you know from the academy awards in terms of protecting those from going indiscriminately and those are now watermarked and protected and and, and you know and those kinds of things as well but you make a, another interesting point and that is is that that there are hundreds of thousands of people involved in this particular business it's not just the people like tom cruise um, or uh, Ben stiller or or, or um, others who are making a fortune, most of the people in this business are craftspeople making less than fifty thousand dollars a year in many cases and so uh, a piracy from when, wherever it comes from tends to hurt people at lower economic levels more than it even hurts the, the the people at the top level and uh, so you know what what do we do about it? Well, we have made it a uh, several things. Both na- last year, the Congress created a federal crime for not only downloading movies, and the states have done the same thing, by the way. But in addition to that, there's it's now a federal crime to pre release a movie before it's been generally released. And uh, we have had extremely good cooperation with law enforcement at the state level as well as at the administration, the Attorney General's level to prosecute these cases uh, both inside the United States and outside the United States as well. So
1: wherever it comes from, we have an obligation to try to go after the source of the problem. If anyone has a question that will take less than 15 seconds and elicit a short answer, we'll take it. But otherwise, yes.
3: Um, you, you've said that most of the pirated copies are from camcorders. They are. And I've seen some of these, and it's an awful viewing experience. <laughs> what that tells me is the security measures you have in place are working for – what I would like to view, which is a high-quality product, where does that leave you? I'm, my concern is that you might have some sort of visual watermark that a DVD player would sense in a camcordered copy and then shut down. And I'm concerned that something like that could make its way into the legal copies to reduce the legal viewing experience.
2: Well, there there is a marking uh, device in theaters where you can – pick up if in fact a movie's been camcorded illegally, you can find which theater it comes from and go back and and, you know and and trace the product. And of course there is copy protection technology right now in DVDs, uh, which doesn't affect the quality of your product. Uh, But what we've done, I would tell you, is we've formed in the industry something called Movie Labs. It's it's kind of modeled a little bit about what the cable industry did and a little bit what the Defense Department did in the creation of DARPA, which created the Internet. And uh, our goal is to try to come up with safe, sound, and reasonable technologies that, in fact, can protect against piracy and still allow for the proper distribution and sensible dis- distribution of, of film and television material for for the customer as well. And that, that, that project is actually just starting. You don't have an executive director? We don't. We, we'll get one soon, though, very soon.
1: Uh, the shorthand uh, answer your question Um, The stuff that's in the theaters, that's put into the films, that's generally forensic. That's to catch people after they've done it. What they're looking at in terms of the next generation of DVD with Blu-ray and and HD DVD is um, preventative. There'll be technologies in there that can be used to shut down pirated DVD players and also um, any copies made of a bootleg DVD. Uh, particularly the Blu-ray guys. That's uh, I think they call that BD Plus, something like that. I have to thank you so much for for all the time. I know you're exhausted, having spent all last night partying after the Oscars. Um, but he's been very generous with the time. Would everyone please thank uh, Dan Glickman for being here with us tonight?
0: You've been listening to Dan Glickman, CEO and Chairman of the Motion Picture Association of America. In conversation with John Healy of the LA Times Editorial Board, this was recorded at the Los Angeles Central Library as part of the Zocalo Public Square Lecture Series. This is Zocalo, a cultural forum for the new LA. Zocalo's radio broadcast is sponsored by 89.3 KPCC. Special thanks to the Los Angeles Times, the James Irvine Foundation, and the Library Foundation of Los Angeles for making this program possible. For information on upcoming Zocalo events and to download past radio programs, visit ZocaloLA.org. That's Z-O-C-A-L-O-L-A dot O-R-G or visit the podcast page at kpcc.org. The producer for Zokolo is Peter Stencil. Jade Gow is our engineer. I'm Marcos Fromer. Thanks for listening.